Ladies and gentlemen, the short answer is that again and again, professors of education devised phony replacement methods. Out with the old that worked, in with the new that is bogus. Now here are a half dozen revealing quotes from articles and books I wrote over the last many years. Now these quotes show history in the making. More precisely, they show education in the unmaking. These might sound like small anecdotes, but they're actually very good symbols of an entire century of nonsense. The first one is a little pamphlet called Helping Children to Read Better, 1950, given to the world by Professor Paul Witte, a very big shot in pushing whole word on the country. He had his own reading laboratory and the whole schmear. And he provided one of the most serenely confident statements you will ever see of this dangerously unworkable pedagogy. Here is Witte's quote. The young child must learn that marks like chair, mother, bravery, sweet, and okay are really symbols for things and ideas. The child reads groups of words. He doesn't read words individually and then put them together to make sense. No, he grasps phrases, then sentences that express a complete thought. Learning to pay attention to individual letters will only slow up the child's progress later. After noting the total word form, details can be observed, such as capital letters or endings. For example, suddenly and suitcase have the same length and the same beginning letter, but their shapes are different. And on that basis, the child is supposed to be able to read suitcase and suddenly? Now, all of this is the most absurd and odious advice that students could get. But they want them to go up to three words with maybe 10 or 15 characters, and they're supposed to recognize that on sight? No, it virtually never happens. Okay, let's look at the second example. Now, the education establishment is still fighting Rudolf Flesch's seminal book, Why Johnny Can't Read. That was in 1955. Most readers point out what a fine book it is. Most reviewers. Now, I'll go a step further in saying that Rudolf Flesch wrote one of the most important nonfiction books of the entire 20th century. In this book, Flesch explains how reading should not be done. He is a man on a mission. He hopes to save America from whole word. To do this, he has to go up against one of the oddest juggernauts the intellectual world has seen. Old word was the reason Johnny can't read in 1955 and now in 2022. I have to believe that our educators, our experts, the ones at the top anyway, knew this, that it was a scam. But they kept the scam going. They still do when they can get away with it. And so, in a completely unexpected way, this book remains fresh and irrelevant after 65 years. Now, you can get a cheap chapter on Amazon, a cheap version, I should say, uh, Why Johnny Can't Read. Just read chapter 1, 23 pages, and you will explore the entire crime, great crime of the 20th century. And item 3, 1973, Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld wrote The New Illiterates. It's now a time capsule showing that every what everyone knew early on that the country was a mess. Blumenfeld quotes a Life magazine report from 1944. This is uh, in the middle of the war. And here's the quote. Millions of children in the U.S. suffer from dyslexia. End quote. 1944. 
The International Reading Association, formed in 1956, presumably to counter Rudolf Flesch, spread the whole word dogma all these years and still tries to. Children are still taught sight words, dolch words, and the rest of this quackery. I just spoke, this was several years ago, to a parent who said his third grade child sees the word the and reads it as it. In other words, this child is eight or nine years old and cannot read at all, thanks to this bogus method. These are the tiniest little words. They can't, you can't even keep those straight, because that's the way it is. It's confusing. The ch children just look for the sh words that are short, and they, you know, whatever short word they can remember, they throw that out. In 1996, Professor Kenneth Goodman, one of the leaders of the whole language movement, wrote a book called On Reading. Now, the larger problem of this book is that its chief aim is to sell a worldview that lets the illogic of word, word, whole word start to appear logical. Goodman presents Piaget's notion that children construct meaning. The sophistical take is that he means invent meaning. So the conclusion you see is that meaning is not real, is not out there in the world, but must be invented by each of us. Utter, in my opinion, nonsense. Like the other devil on the scene, Frank Smith, Ken Goodman loves to announce over and over this serene non sequitur, open quote. The sense you make of a text depends on the sense you bring to it. The meaning is never in the language. Reading is not first of all about letters or words, but about meaning. Effective reading, then, is not accurate word recognition. It is getting to meaning, end of quote. That little gem right there has appeared a million times in various articles, books and so on, discussions, conferences, conducted by our education establishment. The meaning is not in the words. No, it's in the, it's in the head of the person reading. And this takes all the pressure off the school to teach you how to read. They just teach you to insist on what it is you think it means. Now that whole perspective that Ken Goodman, he was a genius at sophistry. This whole weird perspective that he created allowed the public schools to dumb down millions of children. The basic idea is enforced egalitarianism, ready or not. Hold word was apparently used as one of many strategic school tools, dumbing people down, cutting them off from their culture. Now here's a final item that has to amuse anybody who's gone through the schools or thought about any of it. To Kill a Mockingbird is a very famous book. It's, a, it's necessary reading in many schools. I think written by Harper Lee, her only big book until near her, the end of her life. A friend of mine told me that it contained some lovely satire. Indeed, I went to the section where it might be and found it. Now this unique novel, which is, was published in 1960, was set in a small town in Alabama in 1935 in the middle of the Depression. Now already by that date, the horrible progressives were brainwashing young teachers and sending them out to indoctrinate the yokel locals. The setup in the book is the narrator, and that would be little Scott French, Finch, age six, is off to her first day of school on page 15. With this thought, this is her speaking, her quote, I had never looked forward more to anything in my life, end of her quote. But there's a problem. 
she can already read at a high level. The teacher, discovering this fact, looked at Scout with more than faint distaste. That's a quote. Miss Carolyn told me to tell my father not to teach me any more. It would interfere with my reading. It's best to begin reading with a fresh mind. You tell him I'll take over from here and try to undo the damage. Your father does not know how to teach. Close quote by Scout. Now that is so beautifully stupid you might want to cry. Beautiful background here is that you know, her father was Gregory Packer, Atticus Finch. They would sit together in front of the fire in the evening and read the papers together. So we have a six-year-old girl who can read it better than the average high school graduate these days. And this moron wants to hold up little flashcards to teach the child who can already read how to read in her official way. Now, I had a lot of respect for Harper Lee. She does not shout. She just... Like a, you know, stick a knife in, step on somebody's foot, an elbow in the root. I mean, she has devastated the entire educational establishment, apparently serenely confident they'll be too dumb to understand. But the satire is there, and it's very beautiful. Here's this know-nothing jerk of a teacher saying, your father does not know how to teach. Tell him I'll take over from here and try to undo the damage. It's just beautiful. But by lunch, Scout goes on, I mumbled to her that I was sorry and retired meditating upon my crime. I never deliberately learned to read, but somehow I had been wallowing illicitly in the daily papers. At lunch, after only three hours of her first day at school, Scout tells her brother she wants to quit school. The conclusion here is that the education establishment will try to cripple your judgment with an array of sophistries. Don't be fooled by these things. Understand how they work, and then they'll have no power over you. If children in the third grade are confusing short words like the and an, I'm sorry, yeah, the and I, a three-letter word and a one-letter word, you know the entire apparatus is a joke, a fraud, a Ponzi scheme, a Bernie Madoff madness. They've got these kids doing, busy doing something that shouldn't be done. And the more they do it, the more they try to do it, comma, the more they destroy their lives. That's why our schools don't know how to teach reading. Thank you. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that, we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education. But the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff. And that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four, the big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lennon's ghost wanders through our school system. 
The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of sub-educated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.